welcome to the Intriguing Beings podcast with me, Rue Chater. Season 2, Episode 7, with Stephen Ackersdyke. Hi, how you doing? Hope you're all having a good week. Um, it's almost the weekend here, it's Thursday at the moment. I'm hoping to get this published today and get it up online for you guys. So hopefully you'll be listening to this on your way home from work this evening. Um, it's been hectic as ever in my life. I know I say that all the time, but it is just a little bit crazy with all the plates that we're juggling at the moment. We're actually relaunching one of our magazines um, to encompass the new sport of wing surfing, which seems to be exploding right now. So if you want to know anything about wing surfing or stand-up paddleboarding or hydrofoiling, then check out tonicmag.com. Uh, the website's been pumping out content for a few weeks now, and I'm just putting the finishing touches on the first issue, which is going to go out soon. Also been busy working on Ike Surf Mag, IMB, all the usual things, trying to run a business and keep our heads above water in these difficult times, and just been buying a house over in Pembrokeshire as well, so... Um, quite excited about that but needless to say the stress of it has been keeping me up at night and filling the time that I have and basically meaning I haven't had as much time to divert to these podcasts which I always feel incredibly guilty about I don't know why I shouldn't do sits at the back of my mind that I know you guys enjoy listening to them and I feel bad that I don't get out as many as I should do perhaps if I had nothing else to do but record podcasts all day long then that'd be fine so hey if anyone fancies paying me a humongous wage just to make a podcast then that be fantastic doubt that's going to happen so for the for the foreseeable future there will remain a sporadic and intermittent release of hopefully genuinely good content that you can all enjoy and listen to this week my guest is Stephen Ackersdijk he's a Dutch kite surfer uh, pro rider really nice guy um, he's famous for his mega loops and big air riding but he's also exceedingly talented at hydrofoiling and surf foiling and basically anything he turns his hand to he seems to have a bit of a natural skill for. We chat a lot about uh, his early days, his experiences with windsurfing and things like that. But also this one's a little bit equipment heavy. He rides for Core Kiteboarding and they have some interesting products and some of the leading products in the market. But also some interesting take on some ideas around products as well. So we talk about that too. And finally we wrap up chatting about injuries. He's had his fair share, poor Stephen. Um, when we did this interview, it was back in South Africa last year. or not last year, this year. And he just was recovering at the time from having severed his ligaments with his hydrofoil in his ankle so we were both hobbling about on crutches when we did this one anyway he's now back on the water but he's had some shockers in his career and we discuss those and how he bounces back from them too he's a really positive guy always looks on the bright side of things and he loves nothing more than spending some time in the water no matter what craft it's on so i really hope you enjoy this chat with Stephen Ackersdyke. enjoy this morning, I'm sat in a very nice apartment in Cape Town. Almost can see the sea, but I can see a bit of the mountain. And I'm sat here with Stephen Ackersdijk from the Netherlands, uh, who's a pro kiteboarder and does a lot of work for core kiteboarding as well. And is very involved with the brand and their direction and what they're doing. And I thought it'd be an interesting guy to have a chat to. He's just been recovering from an injury. So we'll get on to that as we're sitting here with our ankle scars. Yeah. <laughs> so, Stephen, first question to you. How did you get into water sports originally? It actually started at a super young age where um, I always loved being around the water. And then at one point, my cousin gave me a windsurf set for my ninth birthday. 
I had a quite a heavy, heavy, um, how do you call it? A heavy moment behind me because my mother, pa- my mother passed away. Okay. And I just found windsurfing to be the perfect way to get away from everything. Just be out there on the water, be out there, have fun, enjoy, forget about everything else. So windsurfing got a very special place in my life. Um, and at one point, of course, there were kite surfings all around me. And I used <laughs> to fly like stunt kites before, power kites as a kid. And from there on, it actually went pretty easy from, okay, hey, if you get that level in education, then you get a kitesurf kite lesson as a present. I was doing some okay. motor, motocrosses at the time as well. My dad heard me flying by a few times and he was like, is that Steven? Oh, shit, that's Steven. <laughs> so um, he was a little bit like, I'm going to see if I can get him onto kiting. Safe for the motocross. It's, yeah, it's yeah. safe for the motocross. Like he had so many accidents already on the bike, so he he knew out of experience. Started kiting, and from that moment on, I was totally hooked. What beach were you at in the Netherlands? I actually started like windsurfing at my local lake, which, which is, is Veluwemeer in okay. Rotterdam, like okay. a super small lake. And after that, we moved on to what was it, v- Veluwemeer, which is uh, yeah further on yeah and yeah then i actually started at the slifter <laughs> i was uh yeah slifter was one of my local beaches that i often went to yeah and at one point i started teaching for for kitesurf school all the way up north in the summers and it was the perfect place kite mobile and they what they offered was an internship basically because i I was 15. Yeah. <laughs> I, I couldn't teach you that. So what they offered was a full-on internship for people that like to, um, a spot on the campsite, which was two minutes walk from the beach. So I found my heaven. Oh, like, wow. I was sleeping on an inflatable mattress in my little tent with all the other instructors on one small piece of the of the campsite. And we had such good times. <laughs> and it was like, teach, teach. Kite, 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 kite. Teach, kite, 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 kite. <laughs> Whenever there was the smallest breach, we would be on the water, and I found myself quite often kiting till 11.30 in the night. Well, it was already dark, and you were like, okay, where's my landing? Wow. So that's really how I got into it and how I started enjoying it. And, yeah, eventually that grew through, and one of my mates started a kite surf shop there, and I really got very involved in that, in that area, even though it is a 200-kilometer drive from my hometown. <laughs> yeah, it's a long old trip to the yeah. beach. Well, I guess you got there for weekends and things like that. Yeah, that yeah, we lived there like for actually for just the seasons, the holidays, um, su- summer holiday, of course. And then at one point when I was finished with school, I would do a full season there. Awesome. Yeah, nice way to spend the summers. Yeah, <laughs> definitely can't complain. And there's quite a few impressive and you know talented. Dutch riders that have come out of the Netherlands, you know, guys like Kevin, Ruben, um, and obviously Yalu as well, people like that. Was there sort of, were they sort of inspirational to you back then, or were you not really kiting around sort of really good pro riders? Were you having to sort of find your own feet? Was there anyone that you were sort of on the beach with going, oh, wow, he's really good, I want to emulate that a little bit? I mean, even though the Netherlands is a super small country, I wasn't kiting at the local beaches that those guys were riding at, like Ruben... Ruben Lenton and 
Kevin Langery, they are both from Nordwijk, and I wasn't really kiting there so often. Like Ruben was a big guy I was looking up to just because of his loops. Yeah. I really that always intrigued me quite a bit. I remember meeting Yuri at one point at the beach in Brouwersdam, and he was like the coolest, nicest guy. He just released his series recorded, and like having a chat with him had a big impact on me. I I really enjoyed that. And then the local rider at my beach was basically Boscola. He's doing a lot okay. of the videos for Airwash now. Yeah. Um, took a little bit of a step away from like being an active team rider, but he back then he used to be also one of of Holland's top riders and had a super cool style. And yeah, that was basically the guy. He taught me my first slim chance, for instance. Just like, oh, you're doing that. Why why don't you try that? <laughs> so <laughs> just like that um i think boscolo was one of the guys i was riding a bit a bit with and then further on you have yeri van de Kolb, Lasse, and that's brambast like that's the crew i was really riding with more often in the end and did you ever compete because the netherlands has a pretty good national competition scene right so were you competing yeah. on that at any stage or yeah yeah i did do quite a bit of uh, dutch competitions i was even doing european competitions all in freestyle. Yeah. I am actually I was Dutch champion, freestyle champion at some point. <laughs> <laughs> One year. <laughs> I I got crowned to Dutch freestyle champion when I went to Bali because um we had two stops. Yeah. Or three stops in total. And then one of two of the stops actually got cancelled and they only ran one stop which was at my home beach and it was my the perfect conditions for me. My seventeen square meter my my friends on the beach just perfect flat water so i was super lucky to win that one um super lucky and happy and yeah it was just perfect and then i went to bali and i was like okay well that's it then there's one more one more stop left then that stop got cancelled and i was like so then, oh i won it so i won it because <laughs> i'm dutch champion now did you fly back for the awards ceremony uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> i think i had a vintang and enjoyed it with my mates there <laughs> perfect and at what stage like how long were you kiting before you realized that you could potentially make a career out of it and become a professional kiteboarder i think that was actually quite long um so what my plan was i started with kiteboarding at the age of 13 yeah that's more or less when I started and really start, uh, started getting into it. And then, of course, that's cool. I mean, I had high school. And when I turned 17, I think I finished high school. So that's, that's like four, four years later. Yeah. And that's when I started traveling more. I, had, I was like, I have no clue what I want to be doing. I have no clue what I want to study if I even want to study. So I decided to take maximum three years off from from uh, an in-between year, three in-between years, and to see what I actually wanted to do because there were so many options and I didn't want to start something and then pull out halfway because you're like, well, this is not what I see myself doing the rest of my life. And in that time, I was teaching a lot. So full season in the Netherlands, full season, first time Costa Rica, then Aruba, uh yeah like that i did a few few places and then at one point i won red bull both and i got my first a first place for biggest mega biggest kite loop or mega loop on that day and that got me a ticket to cape town and actually that was the moment that i was like hey 
Could be something. Wait a moment. I still don't know what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> still don't know what I want to study. Well, I do know that I like kiting a lot. So I decided, like, okay, hell, I'm still young. Why not just keep on doing what I love, which is kitesurfing, and try to to make the best out of that, enjoy it the most. And actually, from the from that moment, it started growing. Um, I already had like some small sponsor deals for a shop. Then a very good friend of mine actually approached me and was like, "Hey, I'm uh, I'm selling core. Like, I mean, we're importing core, and I would be super happy if you start writing for me." And I tried this stuff, and I was like, "Hmm, this bar, mate. <laughs> it was the, the the old bar with three D power lines next to each other. I did my handle passes, got my finger stuck in the middle. I was like, mm, nah, "Yeah, this is not mine." <laughs> then they brought out their their, their new bar which was the sensor bar, the first unibody, and that bar impressed me a lot, and I was like, cool, nice, and he's one of my best mates, so then I was like, okay, hey, you know what, this might work, and uh, started riding the first GTS, and yeah, I think two years later, I got third at Red Bull King of the Air, and that's really when the pro career started off, I got a call from Bernie, yeah. Bernie Hiss, the 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 founder of Core Kiteboarding and Histech. And he was like, hey, so we have a shoot for the GTS2 in Maui. Um, how about flying in? <laughs> no way. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So yeah, from winning that, I went uh, basically almost straight to Maui. And uh, 48 hours. <laughs> no, 42 hours of flying. <laughs> no way. So from here you flew yeah. so South Africa to Maui. That's Cape together. Town, London, Heathrow, LA. And then <laughs> across. And then across to, to Maui. So, yeah, it was a trip of a lifetime. It was super good. And that's the moment I started getting in. That's quite cool. Because obviously, like when you, you know, getting third on the podium at Red Bull King of the Air, that's something that's a hell of an achievement. Yeah. Because, you know, just to get into that event, you have to be one of the best riders in terms of big air and mega loops on the planet. Yeah. So to get a podium, that must have been a hell of a moment when you worked yeah. your way through it. How was that competition? How was the how was the whole you know, the heats and beating you must have beaten some big names to get there. Well it was a hectic competition because the first heat like it was my second year King of the Air. The first year I think I finished like just after twelfth, I think sixteenth was the first year. So I had no high hopes. I was like, hey shit, I'm I'm back in. Perfect. I'm gonna have some fun, and that's exactly what I did. Unfortunately, in my first heat, I got I think lost or something like that. So I had to go into round number two, which is basically your your last ch- your second chance. And then from round number two, I was fighting my way up. I won. Wind picked up, so I got the conditions that I wanted, like big bay, decent dip kickers, good wind. So I was working my way up round two, round three, round four. And then all of a sudden, I was like, holy shit, holy, uh, what? I'm already <laughs> in round four. <laughs> and then at one point, I just remember that I I advanced, and they were like, dude, you're in the final. I was like, final? Final? <laughs> Does that mean I'm like top three already? <laughs> That's pretty amazing. I was just, I. it went so quick, and it went so fluent, that I just couldn't believe it. I was so... So astonished by by, I was just doing my thing. I was having so much fun out there. I was giving it my everything, but not not for that podium place. I was just wanting to show people what I could do and what my 
riding style was all about, which was putting that kite low. And I pulled some some pretty good loops that now when I look back at it, I was like, oh, that was such a good moment. <laughs> yeah, and then I was completely tired that no energy for the final so my final was my worst heat <laughs> oh really who were you up against in the final um kevin langery uh so yeah kevin got first yeah then ruben lenton got second i got third and andries fourie yeah uh, local south african i think he got fourth if i'm correct that year okay yeah. wow that's pretty good. So yeah, that was like I was flabbergasted. I was standing there like, "What just happened?" <laughs> <laughs> and then that opened the door for you with Core and Bernie and getting on a sort of international yeah. rider deal. I mean, now what you do with Core, you're a little bit more involved now, aren't you? These days, yeah. like you're sort of working in the office. What's your official role there? Uh, my official is team rider. Okay, like I'm, I'm still team rider. Next to that, I'm uh, the main. V- one of the main videographers of uh, depending of course on which product we shoot if we are shooting a gts i'm a team rider yeah. so i can't be the videographer but if we are shooting other kites like section the the xr shooting um we have um then it comes to play that i've been to so many shoots by now i think i've done like five or six official shoots from core so that just gives you a lot of experience and my law for videography and photography actually brought me to the point that I was like, hey guys, you can rent a videographer, which is going to be quite expensive, or why not just take me? I, I love doing it. I'll do it a bit cheaper. And like that, you invest in me uh, as a videographer. So my content is going to get better. And in the same time, I can earn some extra cash with it, which I can then invest again. They were totally up for the ID. So... The moment I'm doing quite a bit of videography for them. Uh, if there's a dealer meeting, I'm often around to to showcase the products. I'm their drone pilot, so if we have drone shootings, I'm I'm mostly flying the drone, and we're starting to work on on co-piloting. So um, I fly the drone. Somebody else is now uh, operating the gimbal, uh, the camera, and yeah, test events. So I really got myself very involved in the brand and. I love what Core is all about. I love the people that work for Core. I have a very good relationship with the team manager, with the sales manager, the kite designer. So I really know everybody well in the company. And I mean, it's the whole team that makes this, this these products possible. And that's what I really love about that brand. They've done really well, haven't they? Because they, you know, they sort of they were quite big in Germany for a while, and then yep. now they're sort of they're everywhere. Yeah, you know, they really have like completely dominated. I think I remember last year, I think they won best. Well, they came second in like best board manufacturer yeah. or something, yeah, and then they could. won something else. And everyone was emailing me going, "What? Why?" And I was like, "Well, you look at the marketing that they're doing and the the yeah. amount of effort they're putting in." Um, do you think that's a, a combination of like the marketing, the product, the riders, and things like that? You know, how's that? How have they sort of become so big, as it were? I think it at one point. It starts with the product. Like, you need good products that riders feel safe with to do what they are capable. So, for me, it's a German kite brand. I had a problem with my kite once. Like, in all those years, only one time I had a seam that opened up a little bit. And I was like, oh, oh, but there's a safety seam right under it. So, no problem. Just stitch it back closed and we're done. So, I have so much trust in this kite gear. And... 
that also goes for Josh and Ross. Like it's, um, in my opinion, the products are so good that I feel so safe with them and other team riders. And then they do stuff which, which people look up to. Um, we got two riders which just beat the 30 meter mark. Ross, uh, Ross Dillon and Martin Hager. Yep. Martin Hager, Dutch kid, 17, from the Netherlands. Ross Dillon, local South African also. I think he's 19 now, if I'm correct. Yeah. Um, also, two riders above the 30 meter mark. And that just proves that we got the products. We got some riders that are very involved into the brand. They might not be the biggest names, but they all have character. And that's... That's what we, what the brand is always searching for: riders with character, not the guys that will put up sunglasses on the beach and be very distant from everybody, but the guys that you can interact with. And that, together with the kick-ass marketing, um, when I look at their website, they're quite far ahead of most guys. So in total, I just think that the brand defines quality in multiple ways, and I reckon people start understanding and seeing that now. And that's that's how we're getting bigger and bigger. And you think you know it's quite synonymous with big air, you know that's yep. and kite loops and mega loops and that kind of. I think if we looked at yeah, you know, we had a big discussion about covers this last issue because you're a cover yep. star for issue seventy three, I think it is. And um, you know it's that classic shot of kite below rider, you know, super radical is what kind of they've been synonymous with. And then they, I think one of the things they tied themselves in with Woo, didn't they, for the the challenge for people to yeah. actually try and jump as high as they can and things like that. How did that go? Because that brought people out to South Africa, didn't it? To have a sort of Yeah, the, um, the, the Woo slash Core XR5 challenges yeah, that's is the one, one we had. Um, the XR5 is actually currently the kite that holds the two records, but it started with Joshua Emanuel beating, I think he got the, he took the record back from Nick Jacobson at the time by jumping 28.9 or 29.8 I'm not super certain but he got the record and then Cor and Wu made a cooperation on actually getting a challenge out there and I believe the guys that jumps, jumped the highest on Wu and turked hashtag XR5 challenge um, or the most accumulated jumps uh, actually won a trip to Cape Town. So pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, last year we had actually a pretty cool event where we had a bunch of people that got invited for for performing in that XR5 challenge and got to fly our gear. And yeah, it was cool. Also meeting the people and actually seeing that so many people are jumping higher than I am. <laughs> way higher. <laughs> it's, uh, it's awesome, man. Just seeing all those people out there enjoying the sport and getting to try all these new products. So I think that was a very good marketing stunt from them as well, which got, yeah, a very good uh, reception. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's one of those things, isn't it? The Woo device, people love it and some people hate it, but you can't deny it's brought a lot of people back into kiting yeah. and it gives that gamification of the sport and wanting to go out and beat your mates. And of course, yeah. it's, it's like anything, how do you beat your mate? Well, they probably look to the kite that's jumped the highest and go, well, I need that kite in my quiver and that's a real bonus for core to have yeah. that that kind of accolade, as it were, to be able yeah. to, to go to that as the go-to. Um, obviously, you ride a lot of different products and Core make a hell of a lot of different products. You know, they've got a big range yeah. in terms of different kites and things like that. You're more of a GTS rider. 
Maybe. Kind of. Slash Nexus. I didn't know the moment was your favorite bit of kit. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Core started with the concept of one kite that does everything. And um, we, we started with the cross ride, or the yeah. riot, riot cross ride which in the end became the XR and the GTS, where the Crossride was, or the XR was more of a of a all-round kite focused at all-round freeride and performance freeride. The GTS was more focused at hard, or deep, very hard freestyle and um, kite loops, big air and wave. Now we actually made some specialized products next to that as well. So our quiver grew from, from one or two kites so I believe we have, if I'm correct, five kites in our range now. So it really went quick. Um, my two favorite kites at the moment, which I'm always bringing on the trip wherever I go, is the Nexus and the GTS. Of course, the GTS is a, a very radical big air and, and mega loop machine. Like you, I was actually quite surprised when walking around here on my crutches <laughs> in Cape Town and just seeing like all those GTSs flying around here. Like it is a kite that loops really, really well. And I love just seeing that people are, are noticing that and the, the response we get on that kite. So for sure, big air GTS, but for my general riding, I've been getting a lot into foiling and wave riding. And then the Nexus is just such a versatile kite. It provides very good drift. It's a bit more forgiving than the GTS. It still loops really nice. But what I find with the Nexus is it really wants, it really challenges you to go out and play. It's really asking to be ridden playfully. And it makes you try new stuff because if you screw up, it it's not relentless. It is going to forgive you for that mistake and that's why i'm actually shifting more and more towards nexus for my general riding but of course cape town it's a clear have a GTS clear gts armory yeah. ready for it yeah and i mean one thing i want to ask you about because i know a lot of people you know becoming more and more aware of the brand and they love it and there's always that sticking point that comes back to the bar and the chicken loop and that setup which you <laughs> mentioned initially as being the reason why you didn't want to ride for them because the old bar they had was yep. you know had three lines and it was dangerous for doing handle passes and things like that i know what the reason is behind the chicken loop and i understand it but what's you know from from the horse's mouth as it were <laughs> why is it different <laughs> yeah so one of the comments we do get a lot is that we have a twist release instead of a push release and for us it's it's very simple why we want that twist release because with a twist release you can um, perform double amount uh, of the power in in a twist movement. A twist move movement is very daily opening bottles, but also safety seat belts on airplanes and stuff often have a twist release instead of a push release. And of course, if everybody decides to go one way and and you have a vision and you go the other way, then Often people are like, well, you're the one that's wrong. In my opinion, nobody's wrong. It's just something you really need to get used to. Um, of course, when you are used to a push release and you go ride a core kite, don't just go ride it. First, <laughs> twist the release five times so you actually know how it works. It's very, in it, uh, it's very easy to use. Um, and it's just what you get used to. Uh, but due to that twist release, we've been able to to 
keep the bar very low, the profile very small. So it has a lot of benefits over push release. And once you get used to it, like I don't have to go back to a push push release. I know how it goes, but you really need to make sure that in your head, yeah, you know how it goes. You understand it and use it. I mean, the other thing as well is that it's the amount of water that you're pulling. If you're getting dragged through the yeah. water, you're not pushing against that drag. You're just twisting it. So yeah. it negates that that element of it as well. But I know it's something that a lot of people are like, ooh, that's a bit different. And yeah. I think because they've done so well with the marketing and the big air stuff, people are like more accepting of it now because they want that XR5 to jump the big jumps. Yeah. They're like, okay, yeah, I'll learn the new system and, and get to work on that and see how it goes. You've done a lot of traveling. And I mm-hmm. know I think when I first met you, it was in um, Mauritius and you were spending yeah. a lot of time out there. And there's a big, with Willow, um, River Tonkin, the Wave Rider, and some of the other guys out there. There's a big kind of core contingent in Mauritius, and you seem to spend quite a lot of time there. What's what's the reason behind that? What's the you know what's so good about that place that makes you guys go back there and have it as a bit of a base? Well, first of all, you can ride basically. It's warm water. Who doesn't like warm water? Um, second of all, I really love surfing, like just normal wave surfing without a kite. It's as kiting for me took very much of a professional direction where it, it's more work. Well, it became a lot of work and less fun. So if if I have something on my mind, then with kite surfing, it's always like, oh, actually, I should maybe shoot a picture, do a bit of this, do a bit of that. Surfing took that place of being out there, letting go of everything, being in a moment. Um. Mauritius is pretty awesome for surfing. The locals there <laughs> can be tricky. That's another thing you got to work around the locals. Um, and that's kind of a tricky thing. But next to that, you have One Eye, which is one of the best kiting waves in my opinion. It's my good sight, so that helps a lot as well. And then you just have this crew over there. So Taylor is another good rider for core. He used to spend a lot of time there. Willow, uh, Josh went there quite a few times. So, in general, it just makes for a very nice place where you're with your friends. It's a tropical paradise. It's beautiful. You can surf, you can kite, you can hydrofoil. So, for me, it just offered a lot of things that um, made that place very special. And that's basically why we're always going back there. (laughs) Is there anywhere that you haven't been yet that you'd really like to go to? Yeah, loads of places, actually. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's at one point you get so used to to one spot that you tend to go there because you know what you get and um, i would still like to go to sumbawa yeah i've been to indo to bali but i haven't been to sumbawa yet western australia of course but it's cape town time so it's a difficult one it's, it? it's a difficult one you're not just gonna fly there for for a very short time if i would travel there i would like to stay a bit longer and then like South America, there's there's actually, I think it would be really cool to travel a bit more and try to find certain spots. Madagascar is something I would like to go to. Just travel more, get a 4x4 and really search on Google Maps and stuff like that. I guess that's a difficult thing when you're having to go and do photos and videos and shoot and you're working. You always tend to go where you know it's going to be good. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's always an investment. So... I'm I'm not really looking on my numbers and trying to figure everything out perf- perfectly, but I know that when I go to Cape Town and I don't get injured, 
that I do can get a lot of content in which will pay for my trip and get me some on top for my next trip. Whereas if you go somewhere and you don't get wind, it's a huge investment um, to, to go there. And yeah, if you don't get wind for three weeks, you've basically haven't been working for three weeks. Um, that just makes it a bit harder to say like, okay, hey, you know what? Let's just go. Yeah, and take a risk on something. Take a risk. And that's kind of what I had last time with Ireland. Like Ireland was a place I went last winter or last autumn. Um, it's an awesome place, but it's so hard to shoot there. For the very reason, it's almost always rainy. <laughs> I mean, I wrote a... Yeah, like if you guys want to read a full article on, on Ireland, I actually wrote one in the last, yeah, last magazine. Issue 73, in yeah. Issue 73. And... Yeah, I was there for three weeks and it was just so hard to, to get the right conditions to go for a shoot. Plus, you're just searching. You, I had no clue about the locations. And now I actually met a local over there. And he's super cool and he showed me some of the spots. And now I know when I get back, I know where to go. And yeah, It's a place that's full of hidden gems, but you need some local guidance local because knowledge. otherwise you won't get there. You can't see it on Google Maps. You can see a little bit, but... You rock up and there's a 100-foot cliff where you thought there might be a nice kite spot. <laughs> yeah, and there you thought, like, oh, let's go kiting with side offshore wind. Well, that ain't going to yeah, happen. it's not going to happen because the cliff's killing it all, things like that. Yeah. I guess that was, that's what makes it tricky sometimes. Um, I mean, obviously, Cape Town's a bit of a spiritual home for anyone that wants to do big air and jump really big. And then this year, you obviously had a bit of a mishap, which kept you out of the king of the air, which I know yeah. was really upsetting. So what happened there, Stephen? Yeah, so um, I actually took my hydrofoil to, to Cape Town. It's something I really started enjoying. And it's just a completely new way of riding. And you have to teach yourself. You can, your progression curve is so high when you start something new. I had that at one point when I started strapless riding. And now with hydrofoiling, I have the same. And that really keeps it fun for me. So I decided to take it to Cape Town. Um, and then at one day I decided I wasn't using it enough. So I actually walked out of the apartment where we're sitting right now, walked over to the beach, gave it a, gave my eight meter kite a lounge. I think it was eight knots. And the, the swell was well, two to three, two to three meters high. So pretty big. It was, <laughs> it was quite sizey out there and always no wind. So first I couldn't even get it through the, through the shore break. There was quite a bit of a shore break and I, my kite kept falling out of the sky and I'm like, Got it just before it hit the beach. Then I was like, okay, Stephen, maybe just be smart. Don't go, you know. Probably you're <laughs> going to break something. So I went back to the beach. Then I was like, well, my kite is wet. So might as well just fly dry a little bit. And then at one point I noticed there was a little bit more wind coming up. So I was like, oh, well, it should be enough now. So with a bit of struggle, I managed to get through the beach break. And once I was out there, I was like, oh, yeah, nice. This is cool. I'm having some fun. I was kind of riding in, 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 the, in the outside break in the impact zone and doing some turns on waves, riding with side onshore conditions, 10 knots of wind. <laughs> like, I was quite pushing it. Yeah. And um, then at one point, did a jibe with down loop on a wave, on a two meter high wave, and then got out of balance, foil shot in my lines, kite crashed. And then I was there, kite, foil in my lines, kite in the water. Big waves. Big waves. Two meter high wave. Took my kite. Um, well, 
you pr probably you've you felt how much power a wave has if it gra grabs your kite. Yeah. So I just got torpedoed straight into my foil, which was in my lines, and no. <laughs> I kicked my foil so hard that the the fuselage, which is pure stainless steel, I bent it. Um, no I kicked it so hard that the rear wing cut down to my ankle joint, and my ankle joint was open. Oh. Um, one of my lines pulled straight through my board, so I had a line stuck in the middle of my board. No way. So it just cut through the board. There was that much straight, power on it. Yeah, a carbon board straight through a rock. <laughs> Crazy. So the power on there was just immense. Um, could have just released it, but... Sometimes, yeah. sometimes you just don't think about the cons the the possible consequences. Like when I'm wave riding with a strapless board, usually I wait one wave. Yeah, and see then you see might, like see if you might get a chance to might, relaunch. Yeah, it. but now you're riding a waveboard with a huge fin under it, which I didn't think of quick enough. Uh, I learned the hard way. Now I know whenever you get stuck with a foil anywhere near you, like, release it, get rid of it. So. Um, yeah, I actually managed to foil out of the water. I was going to say, like, cause having a cut in the water, especially one that deep, it's pretty nasty. Because I imagine there's a fair bit of blood and you've got to get yourself back yeah. to the beach. And there's yeah. no one else out there because it's only eight knots. Well, uh, luckily, a few friends of mine were, like, were two out? friends were on the beach because it was right in front of Mystic House. Okay. So that that was very lucky. Um, but, yeah, I actually didn't notice. I just saw the line in my board and I was like, oh, fuck, well. There you go, Stephen. You pushed it. You <laughs> broke something, you idiot. So <laughs> I uh, I managed to pull the line out. It it wasn't that easy. I was actually stressing quite a bit, and then um, managed to relaunch the kite, which I was hoping for. And then I I get up on the board. I do a down loop, and I get out of the water a little bit and look at the deck, and my deck is red. <laughs> just red from the block. Oh. <laughs> then I look at my foot and I just see this op huge open open wound and I'm like see something white underneath and I'm like, Oi, that's proper, <laughs> that's proper. Okay, you screwed up. Yeah. So with shaking legs I do manage to foil back to the beach kind of. Which was surprising because I didn't know at that point, but my rear wing was also sideways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the piece large is bent and everything. Yeah. And that, that cut in my foot. Got on the beach and then basically one of the, my friends on the beach who was still in his wetsuit because he was trying as well. He he helped me get back to the house and left some nice painting on the sidewalk. Then <laughs> <laughs> my girlfriend, I just jumped in the back of my bucky and uh, my girlfriend drove the bucky straight to the hospital. Uh, <laughs> hanging, my I was hanging on the back of the bucky with my foot out like yeah. king of the air towel wrapped around it, which pretty soon covered was, in blood was quite red and then um yeah then it started nasty yeah. so when you got to the hospital what was the prognosis because it ended up being a little bit worse than you yeah. thought wasn't it you yeah thought it was just a gnarly cut and then it was <laughs> yeah well, the doctor screwed up a little bit there um so the trauma doctor said like oh you're super lucky no structure damage that was on a friday so basically suit me but suit me uh suit the wound closed it up Got some light painkillers, and she sent me off home with some crutches. No antibiotics, and then no way. Yeah, that's because, pretty crazy because you think there's so much like the water here is not the most pristine yeah. water, and you've got sand and dirt and stuff like that. I, I, I was antibiotics also, would be like standard for something yeah. like that. I was also a bit surprised, and the other way I was like, well, 
Okay, well, That's it's good news. Yeah, it's good news. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to ask because I'm saying it. Said, if fine. she's saying it, she'd be fine. So the prognosis was two and a half weeks, and I could go back in the water if my wound was kind of good again. Over the weekend, I had a lot of pain. And when I got back, like, a lot of pain. Uh, um, but I was like, well, it should be fine. I mean, it was a deep cut, so I guess this is part hurt, of it. Yeah. Never had a cut like that, so I wouldn't know how, what pain I yeah, should have. Yeah, how to gauge it. Uh, what it actually is. And then on Monday, huge red foot, totally infected. No. Got straight admitted into the hospital, antibiotics through IV. They did a full, full on check what it was, came back the day later and was something that you usually find in cows. Like the doctor was like, I don't know what this is, but uh, yeah. <laughs> and then my girlfriend was actually, who is a veterinarian, she was like, oh, that's actually a, a virus, an infection get. that we see at cows sometimes, so. <laughs> in the water maybe there was a dead cow somewhere I maybe don't know too much steak at the weekend <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, then Wednesday still had too much pain he didn't trust it took me under the under uh, on the surgery table and then they actually found out that my joint capsule was cut my tendon was cut for three quarters the <sighs> extendon that pulls your big toe up so yeah, big trouble. When you cut a tendon, it's at least 12 Serious, weeks. Serious, yeah. So, closed everything up. I was on the full uh, full anesthetic. So, it was like, count to three. One, <laughs> no. <laughs> Down. And I guess the tough thing with that is you're, you're going in to have the operation just thinking they're sorting out the infection and then they wake up and tell you that you've got all this extra damage. Yeah. Because they don't know that until you're asleep and they're digging around inside. So, yeah. that must have been pretty tough to wake up to that news. Yeah, I don't know. In one way, it didn't really reach me that much yet. I think through the entire operation, I've been very like, it's going to be fine. It's like nothing. And of course, at my, I had quite a few fallbacks as well that you're like, damn it. Um, but yeah, my, my girlfriend took super good care of me. And it was fairly quick. It was clear I wouldn't write King of the Air. So then I was like, well, okay, hey. That's what it is. Can pull a long face about it, or I can just try and get fit as soon as possible without pushing it too much. And yeah, like that went on. <laughs> <laughs> Five weeks in a cast, and then after that, trying to walk a little bit. Managed to walk without crutches after seven weeks. Yeah. Um, and now we're at 11 weeks and I'm able to like walk without a problem. Still have quite a bit of swelling though, but like just went to the gym and it's, it's progressing the right way. Yeah. It's always tough, isn't it? Ligaments and things like that. Taking tendons take a long time to yeah, get back hey, to full fitness. You know as well. As well you? I know, I know. <laughs> friends, it's so funny. It's just like the worst thing that can happen. It's an absolute yeah. nightmare. But you're back on the, the hydrofoil I spotted. You were, there was a picture on social media of you with yeah. a grin on your face. So you're managing to get back on the water at last. Yeah, so after ten and a half weeks, I was like, well, I feel kind of good. Nice conditions out there. Onshore wind, some waves. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was super. It Two was to three meter swell, eight <laughs> knots. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Um, 
Nah, it was a little bit stronger, so it wasn't so hard with the kite. And then there were two sandbars on uh, a dolphin, which made actually for a perfect spot in between and very long wave period. So it looked quite good out there. And I was like, okay, today's the day. Screw it. First session, 10 and a half weeks. I'm going to go straight back on the foil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How was it? Good fun? Yeah, it was good fun. It yeah. was, um, I enjoyed it a lot. Of course, I mean, it's you've been out for so long and then you can go back to it. But it's very satis- it's it's very cool to be out there, but it's not really satisfying when you normally go 100%. Yeah. Now you have to put the handbrake on and go like 40% or 50% because there is still a chance of damaging yourself. So in the end, I was like, okay, that was cool. 20 minutes of riding. I enjoyed it. Now let's get back into the gym and get ready. Yeah, don't need to don't need yeah. to push it and overdo yeah. it and stuff like that. Yeah. How tough was it missing the king of the air? Because obviously that's been an event that's defined you and and set you up on your sort of pro career, and you've been there yeah. every year. And you know, putting on the show, and as you said in your own words, you know, you just want to show people what you can do and how you ride and your kind of style, which is pretty unique. So how tough was it sitting it out this year? when it came to the actual event, you know, you're obviously in hospital going, oh, it's okay, I can miss it, no worries. Yeah. As it got closer and closer, it must have been like, damn it. Of course, it is a bit like, damn it, missing out on this, missing out on that. Um, in the other way, it's 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 a very big mind game. So if at one point you manage to say to yourself like, okay, well, I've done so many years, what are the positive sides of missing it? So now I could do some other stuff, um, I was doing the live stream for, for, I think, one or two heats, seeing everything from the outside. I could finally walk again, so I was super happy I could walk. Took the camera in my hands, and I was like, well, now photography is fun again as well. Yeah. So, actually, I got my kept myself busy with other stuff, and then obviously just looking at the competition, seeing how it went, how riders advanced. So, because you have a bit more time, and it made me realize some stuff as well in the competition, what if I want to get uh, get up there, what I'll need to do in the in next year's competition and what I need to be working on. So I think in the end, it was just a very good, yeah, good year on the sideline and trying to make the best of it. Of course, I would have loved to be in there. But in the other way, I think it's good. It, it kills the routine. And yeah. at one point, you get in such a routine. And when you have that, it's hard to see stuff from the outside where now that routine got thrown away and there was no more routine. So then you have to start looking at, at the competition differently, at your life differently. And it makes you realize a lot of stuff. And it's a good moment to actually stand still and think about your future, think about your past. So it's cool. In one way, of course, it sucks big time. In the other way, I don't wish this to happen to every athlete, but I think it is something that, makes you a smarter athlete and you can get a lot out of it i think if before i had an injury like this i i looked at stuff way different and now looking back at that i'm like okay well this actually this was a good experience so you can see the positives from it and gives you a chance i think you're right that that opportunity to look at the competition when you're competing in it you're so stressed about the heats and what you're going to do you're not actually taking a step back to look at how you can progress or what the judges are scoring and where things are. So that ability to be able to stand back and take a look at it from a different angle 
obviously makes it better. I seem to recall, was it you that was the one of the first people to have a really big injury at the Mega Loop Challenge as well? When you mm, nearly drowned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Been... You were the first person to do a Lewis before Lewis did a Lewis, basically. Is yeah. The... Yeah, I did it without the induced coma, though. <laughs> yeah, so, but that yeah. was pretty, pretty gnarly. That was a few years back. Have yeah. you had any sort of lasting effects from that? or No, I was, again, I was super lucky. Um, I was in a competition and it was the very first round. So, pulled two loops. Uh, two or three loops I'm not sure anymore <laughs> got a little bit of a brain mess there <laughs> uh, so I pulled a few loops um, I I basically won the heat already so I was up front I was up there with my score and then I was just like oh, I think I can do more so I started pushing it more and I was very unlucky with a gust gust hit me full on and shot me up and then in my loop my timing was a bit off. I pulled it too early, so I really accelerated so so fast forward. Then the gust was gone, and I <laughs> found myself flying faster than the wind. <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you fly faster when you win? Yeah, kite falls out the sky, lines you, go slack. You start overtaking your kite, line slack. That's the last moment I remember. Oh, shit. And then... Big full, impact. Full on smack from 12, 12 meters high. Uh, shallow water didn't hit the floor because I had so much forward speed and I landed like kind of flat on my ass then got knocked out took some water um, had memory loss I was like where am I dead hey yeah. you're here cool what are you doing here yeah hey what are <laughs> you going doing on? here what's going on <laughs> what time of the year is it it looks like winter it was one day before my birthday first of june <laughs> no way <laughs> so full concussion as well for uh, uh no actually no concussion but just like very just amnesia like i just got loss. knocked knocked out um i took like a, a proper hour to start remembering some stuff again so they sent me off to the hospital water in the lungs one night on the intensive care because if water starts it can cause an infection in your lungs and if you, you have an infection in your lungs, it's life-threatening. You need to be free, treated in a matter of hours, otherwise you're done. So one night on the intensive care, where I was a little bit like, uh, why do I have all this shit in me? <laughs> Air, like oxygen in my nose. I remember at one point I pulled the oxygen out at night because it was making me feel like I was having a cold. So I was like, I'm gone with it. And then I think... 20 minutes later, I fell back asleep. 20 minutes later, alarms going off. And like <laughs> my O2 levels dropped below 80%. And then alarm bells rang. And the nurse is coming in. Why have you taken this out? Oh, I'm like, uh, 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 sorry. Yeah, put it back in. I'll stop. <laughs> Next day, got released. And five days later, I was back on the water. So back on the water. Of, uh, I thought it wouldn't leave such a big mental issue either. Because... Um, the weirdest thing is I came falling out of the sky. It's 40 knots. The guy, the safety guys got to me. 40 knots, waves breaking over my head. I still have my boots on. I wake up, look around. Ah, oh, I had such a nice dream. <laughs> that was my first, the first thing I said. And just what I remember from that accident is like a really good dream and a very pleasant feeling. And I heard that from multiple people that 
once drowning you actually is. commit <laughs> to drowning, once you're okay with that and let go, that of course your brains don't have enough oxygen and you start it's a huge trip. So I remember I had that and um, so I thought it wouldn't leave such a big mental impression on me or a negative impression. In the end, it did. Yeah. But that was the worst of it. Like physically, I was good again in two weeks latest. But mentally, it was quite hard to deal with. Yeah. That was going to be my next question because it's, you know, does it ever, obviously now, aside, you know, you would have been sending it as hard as everyone else at the King of the Air. So does it ever in the back of your mind, like when you're pulling those massive loops and things like that, that you're like, oh, it could go wrong? Or can you not think like that if you're riding at that level? Yeah, if you're if you're training, yes, of course. Um, but I've always been a rider that actually I have a comfort zone, and my comfort zone is just very, very big. I feel <laughs> I feel quite comfortable in most in most situations, and that comes with experience. The more experience you get, the bigger the comfort zone gets. And I always like to think that I always stay just within that comfort zone or step just out so usually i'm quite in control and luck luckily i haven't had that many big crashes so of course it holds you back i'm all i'm also getting older i'm also getting having more injuries and it does make you think like okay hey if i have that accident i'm screwed but in the other way you're like well this is what i love doing and it gives me such a good feeling so I find especially at competitions, I can switch that switch. You have a big crash because you tried and do something just out of your comfort zone. You send it a little bit too deep. You can falling out of the sky. You you hit the water and you're like, <gasps> for winded. One minute later, you're doing the exact same trick because you know you have to put down a score. Yeah. So in competition, I can switch that off and I can really go for it in. In free riding with my friends, I'm I'm more tempted to leave it and play it a bit safer, um, rather than getting a full on adrenaline rush, but having the chance of screwing up big time. Yeah. So will you be competing Mega Loop Challenge this year? Yeah. And King of the Air next year? Yeah. Injuries prevented. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and how soon do you reckon before you're back at 100% with the ankle? Uh, I I hope very soon. Um, it's been almost 12 weeks now. It's been 11 weeks and something. So 12 weeks, your tendon is supposed to be a... You can put some proper pressure on your tendons again. So now the upcoming month is going to be full on training time. Especially because I actually heard yesterday from Lasse Walker that we're going to Red Bull Ragnarok together. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Which is... Uh, it's interesting. Never means snow kiting, and um, so you've got a month to learn to snow kite and then compete in the biggest snow kite event of the year. <laughs> Basically, yes. Excellent. Yeah. So baptism of fire for the ankle. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be a lot about getting the ankle ready now, getting out there, making sure it's good, and then having a lot of fun at Red Bull Rock and Rock without going down too hard I hope <laughs> <laughs> so snuffed snow so snuffed so snow snuffed. is soft isn't it that's the thing super so soft super soft water. and fluffy and yeah it'd be lovely yeah yeah softer than water maybe not well good luck with Red Bull Ragnarok you'll have to let us know how you got on Stephen
Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Excellent. All right. I think we've been chatting for a while there. That was brilliant. Thank yeah, you very much pleasure. for your time. Um, good luck with the ankle. Hope you get back on the water soon. And uh, Well, back on the water 100% soon. Yeah. And um, maybe see you at Red Bull Ragnarok. There we have it. Episode 7 in the bag. I hope you enjoyed that one. Shouldn't be too long until the next one's released because I've already edited it and sorted it out and it is uploaded and just waiting for me to push a button. Um, so hopefully I'll have another episode for you next week. Anyway, I hope you all have a fantastic weekend. Thanks again for tuning in. If you could do the honourable thing and like and share and give these a rating on the App Store, that would be fantastic. Tell your friends about it. The more people that listen, obviously the more inspired I am to keep doing them i know i'm a little bit sporadic with these and i feel incredibly guilty about it which perhaps i shouldn't do but essentially i lead an exceedingly busy life and trying to find the time to fit all this in as well as being pretty tricky since uh, my recovery from my ankle injury and now that i'm up and about and doing a lot more things with the business that we run anyway i hope you enjoyed this last episode and fingers crossed you'll tune in next week for the next one thanks very much for tuning in You've been listening to me, Rue Chater, and the Intriguing Beings podcast.